So what's better? Economy or first class? Yeah, first class. All right, let's try another one. Hamburger or prime rib? Yeah, we're gonna go with the prime rib. Um, one more. Okay, two more. A Timex or a Rolex? Yeah, you're gonna go with the Rolex probably. Ford or Chevy? Obviously Chevy. Okay, I'm making a joke there. But look, for me, if I if I can get something better, more quality, I'll, I'll generally try to do that. For instance, I'm kind of hard on shoes. And so I would prefer to get a pair of shoes that I know are gonna last a little bit longer. So sometimes I'll, I'll pay for the name brand or I'll pay a little bit more for quality because I know it's gonna last me a little bit longer. And, you know, we know that Things are more valuable than others. Things have more, more, uh, more longevity. Things are worth more in, in our world. And, and, and we know this to be true, right? A free gift is better than a gift with strings attached. A $100 bill from the U.S. Treasury is better than a $100 Monopoly bill. And some things have more weight, more value. They're worth more. Today we commemorate the start of, in the Christian calendar, a pretty important week called Holy Week. Today, Sunday, is Palm Sunday, and we're commemorating the best story in the world. Jesus brought a better story for humanity, in fact, the best story, and we celebrate the culmination of his story, beginning with today, Sunday, looking at his entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, a symbol of peace, and then the week progresses to Good Friday where he went to the cross for all of us and then we celebrate Easter Sunday, his resurrection from the dead. So it's an important an important week for us. And today I want to share a message with you called A Day, A Donkey, and a Deliverer. Would you pray with me as we begin? Our Father and our God in heaven, we come before you our hearts are anxious. There's a lot of things going on in our world. Our normal routines have been brought to a halt. And Father, we need your presence and your peace. Father, I ask that you would step into all of our homes as we're staying home a little bit more and that your peace would be in our hearts and in our families. And Father, would you continue to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, even as we lean in now in this online gathering, that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, all four Gospels cover this special event we're talking about today, the, the, the ride into Jerusalem by Jesus. All four of them take a, a different camera angle on this event, but it reminds me that when scripture repeats something, it's generally good for us to pay attention. God repeats himself for a reason. And all four of these gospel writers saw fit to put this account in because they saw this as pretty important. And just, just some notes on these four camera angles or four gospels, if you will. We could call them the biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just to give you some some, I think, helpful information. We got basically about 89 chapters in all four of those Gospels. Four of them are about Jesus's first 30 years. Just four. 
85 of those chapters are focused on the last three and a half years of Jesus's life. And check this out, 29 chapters are dedicated to this final week. It shows you how important this was to not only gospel writers, but to us, even all the way down through history, even now today. In John's account, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John gives kind of the last account in our English Bibles, and 50% of his book is dedicated to this final week of Jesus and his life on earth. His last days were so, so important. John 12 gives us the account of Palm Sunday that we're focusing on today. But before we get there, let's just take a little, a little bit of a backstory here. What happens before this, or at least immediately before this, Jesus is anointed at a dinner party. He's anointed with very expensive perfume. And it, it, it's sort of scandalous. A, a lady does that for him breaks this really expensive jar of perfume, a very valuable thousands of dollars worth of perfume is used to kind of anoint Jesus in this special way. And it was very scandalous. And in fact, at this dinner party, I'm guessing that there were a lot of questionable looks as this was all happening. And, and one of the people at the, the meal was Lazarus. And what had happened before this was Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was a close friend of Jesus. And so here we are at this dinner party and, and I'm sure everybody's looking on and maybe have their questions and they're scratching their heads at what's going on here. One of Jesus' disciples is Judas and he sees this and he's pretty upset. And we get a little backstory of Judas. If you want to read at the first part of, of John chapter 12, you'll see a little bit more of that. Uh, kind of into the, his heart. Judas had some things he was struggling with and he saw this display as excessive exorbitant. In fact, he saw this as wasteful. And so he begins to, to make his case there at the dinner party. And Jesus kind of, in many ways, just silences him, shuts him up and said, no, she's done a beautiful thing. And this is going to be something that down the road, the disciples will remember this moment and realize, oh, she did something beautiful there almost to prepare him for what was ahead in the week when he was crucified on that cross and then put in the tomb where they generally wrap the body with, with things like spices and perfume uh, to sort of act as a, a preserver. And so there's this beautiful moment. Judas is kind of giving Jesus a bad time about it. Jesus kind of stops him and said, no, this is going to be, this is going to be something told for generations and generations. And then after this, you have this plot beginning to develop to not only kill Jesus, but also Lazarus. And so that's a little bit of the backstory. There's kind of some, some drama going on in, in the background before we get to this famous ride into Jerusalem. So let's get to John 12. If you've got a Bible or a device, I encourage you. In fact, I think even on this uh, online platform that we're using, there's a, even a scripture tab. So you could, you could go there and, and pull up John chapter 12. I'm gonna read it from uh, my Bible here, starting with verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, 
just as it was written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Verse 17 here now. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So that is John's account of this, this ride into this, this key city, biblically speaking, Jerusalem. And, uh, and the Passover was why they were making the trek into Jerusalem. Many people, thousands of people from all over the kind of the known ancient world that were Jewish would return to Jerusalem for, for three different uh, festivals or events, uh, three kind of key things on the Jewish calendar. This happened to be the Passover time. And there were two other festivals, too, that people came into town for. But this was Passover. A lot of people made sure they made uh, plans to be there for this particular event. You know, again, thousands of people from all over uh, the, the, the ancient world were coming into Jerusalem. And they were celebrating something with the Passover. And if you're not familiar with Scripture, that's okay. Uh, I encourage you to read a, a little bit more about what the Passover was back in Exodus 11 and 12 back in the Old Testament part of the scriptures. But the, the, this Passover event was an identity marker for the people. It was this moment where we're celebrating God's deliverance of the Hebrew people from the nation of Egypt. They were enslaved and God did this miraculous thing of, 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 of raising up Moses and bringing the people out of Egyptian slavery. So this was a kind of a, a pinnacle moment for the people of God, the Hebrew people that would later become the nation of Israel. And so this, this is a celebration that kind of uh, elevated their history once more, you know, so they could retell the story to their kids and, and their grandkids, kind of showing how we are still a special people. And this Passover proves that God loves us and he, he had special plans for us as his people so that they would return for, for Passover where they're at now. And, and every time they would re return for, for Passover or really for the other two festivals, which included you know, the Feast of Tabernacles and, and also Pentecost, whenever they would re return to Jerusalem, there'd be a lot of repetition. You know, there, there's, there, there's rituals on how they would celebrate these events. And for most, it, they, all three of these, and, and especially Passover, involved a lot of weary travel. You know, these, these were not, you know, a lot of folks back in the ancient world were not able to hop on a bus or get on a train. I mean, you, you can guess they're on their feet. They're on their, you know, in their sandals, walking all these roads into Jerusalem. And so there was a lot of weary travel going on. And, and think about it, the same roads, every year, the same three festivals, the same rituals, the same prayers. And it, it, it might kind of explain why people who were there gathered for Passover were hungering for something more. They were hungering for something different, for someone different. Jesus was like this breath of fresh air for, for the people. I mean, he, 
He was a breath of fresh air in, in sort of this environment of, of a stale and, and, and a bit stagnant religious experience. The Jewish religion at that time had really been kind of honed and focused in on the exterior. Well, Jesus seemed to focus on the heart. In fact, one of Jesus' most famous sermons was what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And there he talked about that, the idea that it's not just about the exterior, it's about the interior. You know, it's not just what you say, but it's also what you think. And so Jesus focused on the heart. See, that day they cried out the word Hosanna, which literally means save us, we pray. They were calling that out to Jesus. In effect, saying to him, Jesus, save us. You are somebody different, and, and we want you to save us. Religion tended to put up barriers, and, and Jesus tended to, to break them down. And religion was telling the people to work harder, whereas Jesus wanted people to have faith in his hard work. Very different. An average, ordinary, even openly sinful people were drawn to him. They were drawn to him. Why? Well, he offered something different. He offered something better. He offered salvation and hope for the common person. The religious leaders weren't impressed. This was not the savior they were hoping for. And when people are starting to ask Jesus to save them, it probably really stirred the dander up for the religious leaders because this was not the Messiah they were expecting. This is not what they thought would have been God's answer for the people. Yet, Jesus came riding in on a donkey. That is significant for a number of reasons, but the big reason is he's coming in on a symbol of peace. He was bringing peace once and for all, not just to the people there in Jerusalem, the people gathered for the Passover, but peace for all people every nation, every tribe on the planet, both then, now, and in the future. He was bringing peace, real peace. That's why he's on a donkey. If, if he was coming in as a military leader or a, you know, a military king, he would have been riding on a stallion, you know, a battle horse. But he's riding on a donkey, and that's significant, riding on a symbol of peace. And like we read there in the passage, the disciples didn't understand all this when it was going, going down. You know, they were kind of in the moment, but later they realized that when he's on that donkey, it was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus's arrival fulfilled so many predictions and prophecies that it dawned on everybody later. But at the moment, they were just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Jesus riding in on a donkey was predicted and prophesied in one of the minor prophets that we just studied, Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 talked about the king of peace coming into Jerusalem. And here we are. And Jesus loved the people. He had cried for the city. In fact, the scriptures say that he wept over Jerusalem and the people because of their lack of faith and how they weren't paying attention and they weren't looking for the Messiah. I mean, you get something here that God's word that predicted all of this was so much better than temporary public opinion. Everybody's cheering now on this special day. Jesus coming in on this, this donkey. Everybody's cheering. Oh, he's, a, he's the king of peace coming into Jerusalem. And everybody's cheering. The religious leaders got their opinions. The people got their opinions. But scripture and God's word is more powerful than all of that. 
And here, Jesus is fulfilling God's word right in front of them. The scriptures are so much better than any kind of religious or public opinion. Again, the disciples didn't understand this, but later, think about how their faith was strengthened when they realized all these scriptural prophecies and predictions were completely fulfilled in Jesus. It must have strengthened their faith so much more. How reliable God's word must have felt to them in those moments, kind of like it does for us now when we see God doing these things. See, there's confidence and security when we base our life on God's word, when we're guided by God's word, scripture. Look, there were four people there that day. Let's talk about it. You know, you had Jesus's disciples, his followers, kind of the kind of the true believers, if you will. They were there with the crowd. The, the second group of people were the people that were witnesses of seeing um, Judas. Uh, dang it, I was getting a phone call. Where can I pick this up? Should I start with the four? Oh, um, there were four groups of people going okay. back. Yep. Yep. Sorry. No, you're good. There were four groups of people there that day at this big event. And let's talk about them. First of all, you had the disciples, the followers of Jesus. These are kind of the true believers. They were there amongst the crowd. The second group of people there were people that had seen Lazarus risen from the dead. I mean, saw that whole miracle. And so they're hooked. They, they, they want to see more. So they're there. The third group of people are people that heard from the witnesses of Lazarus. See how important that is? Probably makes sense of why the religious, religious leaders were trying to get rid of both Jesus and Lazarus at this point, because the miracle was just too big for them. Then you, of course, had the religious leaders. So all four of these groups of people are there that day, and they all saw the same thing. They all saw this event of this king of peace, this Jesus of Nazareth, riding in on a donkey. And it made me realize, thinking about all these people that were there and they all had eyes on the event, that sometimes seeing just isn't enough. Observing is fine, but it's got to call us to action. Just seeing something, it's good, but it's not the whole story. That observing must call us to action. All those religious leaders had studied the scriptures, but it never really connected. It's like they studied, but they they didn't really realize the one they were studying. This Messiah that they should have been expecting, they'd studied all about. I'm sure they read Zechariah 9.9 about the person coming in, you know, the Messiah, the King of Peace coming in, but they just missed it. They weren't connecting all the dots. They'd done lots of study, but seeing and studying and observing, it's not enough. We need to, to do something about it. They needed to do something about it. A decision had to be made. Jesus arrived as the true deliverer, our true deliverer, and so many missed him. You see that crowd that was cheering there that day, you give it four or five days and they're chiming in with the rest of the folks, crucify him. You know, these opinions are just so easily swayable. Jesus was the only deliverer. And so the question for all of us and the question for them even then was, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this King of Peace riding into your life, his arrival? What is it going to do for you? We have to respond. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth following, this King of Peace? God broke into human history, and the world was never the same. He broke in, and the world has never been the same. And has he made that difference for you? 
Jesus brought so much when he came. He brought freedom from sin, freedom from religion, freedom to really embrace the truth. So what do we make of all this? Well, first of all, Jesus is better than religion and religiosity, if that's even a word. Jesus is better. He's, he's a breath of fresh air for not only then in the first century, but for us now, he's a breath of fresh air of hope, of renewal. So trust him. Jesus is better, so trust him. Number two, the word of God, scripture, is better than any public opinion, any ebb and flow of culture. The scriptures continue to speak wise living and God's heart to us. So read it, study it. And finally, Jesus is better than just being a fan of him. Following Jesus is better than just being a fan, just being an observer. We're called to follow him. Isn't it interesting how Jesus used that terminology? Not here, sit in this pew while I give you uh, platitudes. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men to his first, first followers. Follow him. Following him is way better than just being a fan. Faith involves action. So follow him. Recap, Jesus is better than religion, so trust him. The word of God, scripture, is better than human wisdom, so read it, study it. And finally, following Jesus is way better than being a fan, so truly follow him. It's an action-oriented faith. Choose Jesus. That's the real message today. And if you're someone who's never made that decision, you can do that. And we'd love to, for you to let us know that today was your day that you made the decision on this day, you know, with this deliverer riding in on a donkey that we celebrated, you have made him the Lord of your life. You accepted him as your savior. It's very easy. You believe in Jesus, believe he is who he says he is. You repent of your sin. You wanna turn and go the direction that God's calling you to go, not in your own direction. You confess your sin. You confess it before, before your family. You confess it before the world that he is Lord and you're baptized into Christ, and you begin living for him as a disciple. I encourage you to do that. If that's your decision today, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know in the chat window. It'd be great to celebrate that with you. And when this, uh, the ability of all of us to gather again, we'd love to, to baptize you and be part of that and celebrate that with you because Jesus is better. I wanna pray here in a minute, and I'd love you to join, join me as we do that. But I just want to say this, look, we're in an unprecedented time. We've never seen the world like this. And most of our lives have been so altered. Many of us are at home and, and this is difficult. And anxiety is going to be right at our doorstep all through this. And so I'm just asking you to consider spending time in prayer, spending time in prayer staying connected to your family, uh, staying connected to your neighbors, especially those that are more vulnerable, check in on them, and stay connected to our church family. Uh, we wanna be doing this together. And I think doing life together, even in this online format, is still powerful. Even as we're going through this you know, virus outbreak and trying to contain it, um, uh, we want you to stay healthy and, and, and stay uh, safe. We also want you to stay connected and engaged. Uh, there's going to be a screen that's going to uh, that's going to show up here after we're finished. It's going to show you some some action steps, some some next steps that you can take um, if you need help or you need prayer. We'd love to just continue to 
connect with you. But I want to remind you of a scripture. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says for us to cast all our cares on him, on Jesus, because he cares for you. We gotta remember that. So I, I encourage you as a pastor, a friend, as a follower of Jesus, to spend extra time in prayer. Put it before the Lord. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. We thank you that you allow us to, to approach you with humility and, 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 and to approach you as our Father and know that you care for all those things that are weighing on our hearts. You care for our anxiety. So Father, we, we cast those cares on you today as a church family. And Lord, I pray that your peace would reign in our hearts as we move through the next days, weeks, maybe months. Father, that you would bring us peace. And Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer and blessing us so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.